Of all of that that I say the most is I got to stop saying stupid stuff. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I, I appreciate that. I did not know that we were going to play that. And so uh, gather myself. Roger, don't say anything stupid. Got it. Um, this is how one starts. Um, do you guys ever have a like dream? that just, you, you keep dreaming the same, you keep dreaming the same dream. For me, it's Saturday night. Saturday nights, uh, Saturdays for a pastor's family are weird. It's really strange. And so here's how our Saturdays go. We wake up, uh, we, we just, you know, we do whatever we're going to do in the yard or we're hanging out, whatever it is. At 5.30, our sat- my Saturday ends. And so we show up here on Saturdays to set up and just putting this out, shameless plug, we need some help. And so on Saturdays, if you can be here at 5.30, we, we put all, um, we, there's a whole group of us that put all this up. It's a lot of fun. We enjoy each other's company and time and sweat. Um, and I got to say, there's a, I wasn't here yesterday. So like a bunch of selfless volunteers came and did all of this. And it just goes to continue to show me how really replaceable I am here at Restore, and I love it. I love it that way. Um, Saturday, so 5.30, we usually, we wrap up at 7.30, no matter what isn't done or what is done, we finish at 7.30 here, and we go home. For me, though, uh, man, my mind is here. Like my mind is on Sunday morning. And so I'm rehearsing my sermon in my mind. Is it going to be good? Maybe there's some things that I want to tweak or whatever. And so we get home. And even while my family is watching TV or, or we're playing a board game, my mind is, is here. So I usually stay up a little bit later on Saturdays. I wake up early Sunday morning. And so sleep for me just is weird. It kind of doesn't even happen. What makes it worse is this reoccurring dream that I have on Sunday or on Saturday nights. They're different, but usually there are some common things within this dream. I want to tell you about it. It usually is this. Here are the common things is that I'm standing here and this room looks like this. Then that's when it gets weird. It's never normal. Meaning, like, there will, be, there will be a Saturday, or I'm standing up here on Sunday, and I've got all my stuff ready, and I look up, and there's nobody here. That's not a dream. That's a pastor's nightmare. <laughs> there are some times that I, I've looked up, and uh, everyone is sleeping, but, like, in beds on mattresses. And then I look at my iPad, or I look down at this, this screen, and it says it's, like, 3 a.m., Then there are other times I get up and the room is packed. Like from wall to wall, everyone's here. Everyone who'd ever been to Restore Church is here. And I get up and I'm ready to deliver the Billy Graham sermon of a lifetime. And I don't have notes or a Bible. And I realize I haven't written a sermon. And then I just say, sorry guys, but uh, let's sing another song and go home. I mean, what a nightmare. I don't sleep on Saturdays because of that. Last Saturday I had this dream. I'm standing here in front of y'all. Um, worship had just ended, and everyone is here. And I look down at my stuff, and I'm ready to go, and uh, videos I didn't expect don't play, and so everything's going uh, normal. Uh, and then I look up, and it's only Jesus sitting here. Now, this is a dream I have for a long time because I can't wait till it's just me and Jesus. But it's not Jesus in his glory. 
He's not like, you know, ambient light behind him, white robe Jesus. He's like casual hipster Jesus. And he's sitting here with his legs crossed, just like rubbing his chin. He's thinking very hard. And I hate silence, just in life and in dreams. I hate silence. That's how much I hate it. And so I said, Jesus, everything all right? And he just, he thinks, and he says, what do you got? And I'm like, um, it makes your sermon really bad really quickly. And I, I say, I, I don't know, but I can preach it for you. And then he says this to me. What makes you think you can worship me? I was like, uh, wake up, please wake up, please wake up. Aaron smacked me something, Sadie kicked me. I don't know, but I need to wake up from this dream. He says, what, do you, what makes you think you can worship me? And I just, I, I can remember sta- feeling like I can't move. And then he, Jesus says this. Roger, do you, are you in love with me or just the idea of me? Whew. I just got chills down my leg, y'all. And then I couldn't, wake up, couldn't wait to wake up because then I wanted to write it down and use it in a sermon. <laughs> It's like, thanks, Lord. I feel you. feel you. Are you in love with me or just the idea of me? I can remember early on when Aaron and I started dating, I was the first one to say I love you, and I did it in a romantic way over the phone only a few weeks later after dating. And Aaron knew ex- the exact perfect response. I said, you know what? I, 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 I love you. And she said, thank you. It was perfect. Later on, we got in a conversation because I was really embarrassed because she didn't say it back, and uh, I'm not used to rejection, especially in the ladies' department. You know what I mean when I was 18 and all of that? And uh, we got to talking, and she says the same question. Do you love me or just the idea of me? It's a question I think we all need to ask ourselves about Jesus this morning. Do we love Jesus? Or just the idea of Jesus. Uh, go ahead and in your Bible find uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We've got some volunteers that might be willing to pass out some Bibles. Um, there's Miss Gina over there. She'll pass out a Bible if you need one. There's Corey in the back. So just throw your hand up. We'd love for you to have one. Um, uh, if you don't have your Bible, but you have your phone, you can follow uh, on the Bible app or the Restore Church app. You just push the Bible button, which is in the center, and you can find John chapter 12. Man, Jesus, the, the story of John is picking up. Remember, he spent 11 chapters, 11 chapters out of 21, talking about the first two years and 51 weeks of Jesus' life, and he spends the last Um, the last 10 chapters talking about the last week of Jesus. There's no doubt that that's what John wants us to read and focus on is the last week of Jesus. So over the next 10 weeks, that's what we're after. We're after the answer to the question of do you, are you in love with Jesus or just the idea of Jesus? John chapter 12 is two days, two worship events, followed by two interruptions by two groups of selfish people. Two days, 
two worship events that are interrupted twice by two groups of selfish people. And we're going to look at it. The first day, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Um, it says this, six days before the Passover, so we're about a week away from Jesus' death, uh, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Everybody remember John 11? Lazarus died. Jesus, uh, Jesus called him out of the grave four days later, right? Remember that? Um, so six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. First of all, we need to recognize exactly what's happening. Jesus, his disciples, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they're all having a dinner to honor Jesus. Now, next week we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth, but when they're sitting around a table eating, they're not sitting at a table like you would or like we would. They're laying on the floor with the, the food all around them. So, Man, what a miraculous thing to even be happening, right? Like Lazarus was dead for four days, and then some time passes, and now they're all sitting around eating. Like, he's asking John for salt. You were dead four days ago, dude. And so if you could put yourself just for a moment at the meal, I would imagine that if I'm a disciple, I'm just staring at Lazarus like, is this for real or is it fake? You know, he just asked me for pepper, but it, this, is, this is a display of God, of the power of Jesus at a meal. And just as the men finished laughing at a joke that Peter probably told or the intricate details of a financial presentation that Judas gave, from the door over here, Mary starts to walk in. And she stands a little bit behind the entrance because for a woman to approach these men is taboo, but she just can't help it. And so she tiptoes for a moment, and finally those tiptoes enter into the room and she walks very timidly around Philip and around Nathaniel. Everyone is staring at her. I mean, everyone sees what she's doing. She's carrying what seems to be a jar of something, of perfume. And as she approaches Jesus, her heart is pounding. Maybe her knees are weak and her hands are shaking a little bit. And she understands the weight of what's about to happen, but the disciples don't know exactly what's going on, but she knows that not only is she about to wash Jesus' feet, y'all, but Jesus is not just Jesus to her. Jesus is, is the king of kings. You ever thought that God created everything by speaking power? Mary enters the room of a man who rose that man from the grave, power. And she's about to approach him. But she has no other choice. She is in love with Jesus. She is obsessed 
with Jesus. And she's probably trembling as she walks up to him, opens up the can or breaks the, the jar of nard, washes his feet. It, I, I don't know, but I would imagine that like if I'm her, you forget stuff, right? M- maybe she has the jar of nard, walks up and breaks it and it's like, oh, I don't have a towel. I'll just use my hair. Y'all, this is not, this is like a beautiful moment in the story of Jesus. It's probably the most unguarded act of worship in all of Scripture. Man, um, one thing to think about is this is a woman at Jesus' feet. At this table, she has no room. Like at this table of men, Mary has no seat at this table. She has no room at this table except for the feet of Jesus. But then here comes the interruption. Look with me at verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was also the keeper of their money bag, and he used to help himself to whatever he put in it. Judas. Now, whatever you want to say about Judas is probably true. I mean, we see right here that his selfish nature, his tradition, his rules, and then his personal just pride and selfishness enters into the room. Scripture tells us that although it might seem to the disciples and maybe even to Jesus for a moment that Judas is trying to do something noble, the Bible tells us that his intentions are only so he can take money and so that he can look good and self-righteous. Now, this scene, sorry, this scene that we're in is really a true characterization, I think, of the worship of the American church. I hate to say that restores included, but I would be naive to say that it's not. I mean, you've got Judas, you've got Judas and you've got Mary. There are Marys in this room. I know Marys who no matter what is going on in their life, they don't care who's around them, they don't care what's going on, but they crumble at the feet of Jesus. They tremble at the thought that one day they will sit in front of the presence of Jesus as he sits on his throne and they will forever cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But then I know Judas's, not necessarily betrayers, but people who say they worship Jesus. And, you know, guys, I'm just going to be honest. I think sometimes I go back and forth. And while my desire is to be merry all the time, there are instances where I slip into this scene of Judas. There are people who say they worship Jesus. They attend weekend services. Maybe even at work or social setting, it's brought up, do you, and then they'll be like, yes, I, I go to church at Restore, or yes, I, I worship Jesus. But at times, it's really only when it's easy, when there's no confrontation and when there's no conflict. They only stand up for Jesus when, when everyone else is doing it, 
I mean, you, you know this type of person that they will, they will post a, a, a scripture on Instagram and the next, the next video that they share doesn't match the narrative of following Jesus. That, that they'll, they'll talk about, man, how awesome God is and how, how, they tr- how we trust God, but when, when it all hits the fan, we forget that we posted that on Facebook. I mean, you, you, you know people like this. They're at church and their hands are lifted high. Not, I'm not talking about pe- everyone who lifts their hands high. So if someone's lifting their hands during worship, that's not what I'm doing here. Okay. But they want to be seen until someone else needs help. And then they're nowhere to be found. And you see that this is an image of worship here, even at the feet of the cross of Jesus. But it's a... It's a, it's a fight that we fight ourselves. It's a preference over presence mentality to worship. You know what I'm talking about? It's a preference over presence. You see, we, would, we care more about the length of the sermon. That was too long today, Pastor. You, you talk, you know, right, you, man, you really talked a lot today. Yeah, I know. I was there. I have a timer right here telling me I have 17 minutes left. I know. Instead of saying, man, I'm just so thankful that our church uses the Bible and we got to hear from God today. You know, I I really didn't like the songs they sang today. They like never sing my favorite song anymore. Today we got to join in with eternity as they worship Jesus. See the difference? The American church, and God forbid our church, please God forbid it to be our church, has entered into a preference over presence mentality. And so, who do we worship? Do we worship our preference or do we worship God's presence? Um... I heard Kyle Eidelman one time, he said that God will not bless his primary competition. That's tough. Mary, right here in this scene, like she gets it. And this is what I want for us to take away today, that our mode of worship is about blessing Jesus not to be blessed. If the Christian life, if all we're doing is we accept Jesus so that one day we will be blessed, now listen, God blesses us, we get that, but that's not the goal of what we're doing here. The goal is not to come here and put on a a performance so that we can be blessed. The goal is to not uh, come to, to life group so that we can draw out of it. The goal of the Christian life is to bless Jesus, and that's what Mary puts as her preference in this scene. There are two worship services Two beautiful acts in two days interrupted by two people. Look at John chapter 12, verse 7. John chapter 12, verse 7. um, Jesus comes in to defend Mary. He says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. 
um, for on account of him, many of the Jews are going to Jerusalem to believe in Jesus. So the chief priests come to see Jesus. But remember at the beginning of John 11, Jesus came to Jerusalem knowing doggone well that he was going to meet these people. Remember from John chapter 5, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they're trying to kill Jesus. And every time they do, the Bible says that Jesus escapes their grasp. He gets away from them every time they try to seize him. But at the beginning of John 11, remember remember what Thomas says. Let us go back to Jerusalem so that we may die with him. Jesus knows exactly what he's getting into. And so this time he shows up. He says, here I am. And they come to see Lazarus, but they kind of really only come to see Lazarus so that they can kill Lazarus because people are coming to follow Jesus because of him. And then five days later, it says in verse 12, or I'm sorry, the next day, which is five days before the Passover, The great crowd had come for the festival. They heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches. You you know, the Palm Sunday. That's what this is. It's Palm Sunday. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. They shout, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on the donkey's, or on, on a donkey's colt. And they've really seen the proof. And the proof is that Jesus raised Lazarus from death. The point is just a rumor. But when they finally see Jesus do something miraculous, they're like, dude, we're in. This is him. This is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right in front of our face. This is the anointed one, the, uh, the appointed one, the, the, uh, the Messiah, the Christ, the one that God had been talking about all throughout the, the Old Testament. And so they can't help but to erupt and they yell, Hosanna. Hosanna is just a simple word to mean save. They saw this man and they're like, he has the power to save. He did it to Lazarus. Save, Hosanna. And at the time, and the Jews were correct, they changed their narrative in just a couple verses, but they were correct because they have found him. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, uh, and John share the story. And the only time this word Hosanna or, or save is used is right here in, uh, on Palm Sunday. Again, Here's the second day and a second time of a really incredible worship service. But who is the worship service for? Is it for the Jews that are around? Is it for the donkey? (laughs) Is it for the palm branches? Absolutely not. Look at what it says in, in verse 13. Blessed is who? Is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus. Blessed is the king of Israel, they're here to bless Jesus. I don't want us to miss exactly that. And I think here's what the two worship services, both Mary and these Jews who are for the time, for the moment, in love with Jesus. Here's the question for you. Are you 
obsessed with Jesus. Now, we all have our obsessions. In our house, we're getting rid of all of our stuff, like we're getting rid of extra stuff. And I have a zillion t-shirts because Christians love to give away t-shirts, and I love t-shirts, so it's a great combination. And we're going through all my t-shirts, and I'm like, oh, this is from 2002. We can throw that out. Oh, Clemson football t-shirt. We'll keep that. Um, here's a t-shirt from camp 17,000 years ago. Uh, I don't need that anymore. <laughs> Just so y'all know, I end up keeping them all anyway, but for the time. And then I go and it's like, oh, look, a Clemson football polo. Keep it. I mean, we all have our obsessions, don't we? Are you in love with Jesus, like totally obsessed with Jesus, like can't live without Jesus? Y'all, if, foot, if college football were to cancel, like, like disappear, I think I might also, you know, like, I'm going to go find it. I'm gonna, that, that will be my new life calling to reinvent college football. I can't make it any better than it already is. It's beautiful. But I'm obsessed with, I'm also obsessed with Jesus, so I need to get back to talking about that. Are, are you obsessed, like can't live without Jesus? You know, some, if we were to say, we're talking about death to life. And in each chapter at the end of the book of John, we're going to talk about one thing that leads to life, but one thing that leads to death. And the thing that leads to life is an unguarded, obsessional uh, view of Jesus. Like to worship Jesus with every aspect of our life, not just on Sunday morning. The opposite of, of obsession. Listen, the opposite of obsession is not a lack of attention. It's, it's not to ignore it. The opposite of obsession is indifference. Yeah, it's good. It's all right. It's to be not sold out. And let me tell you something. Jesus has no interest in a half-hearted approach to worship. I hate when I'm talking to someone, while I'm talking to someone, we're in a conversation, and then all of a sudden I look up to realize they're not listening because they're on their phone. They've just been going, uh-huh, uh-huh. I also know that I talk a lot and tell stories that are too long, but... What happened? <laughs> Are you in the conversation or not? You're just kind of there. I hate watching football with someone who just doesn't care about the game, but they pretend to be. They walk away for like a half of a quarter, and then they come back and try to pretend like they know what's going on. It's like, dude, just go watch soccer or something. Ah, playing game with your kid, and they're trying to watch TV at the same time you're trying to teach them checkers. You know, it's like, give it all or don't. Watch the game or don't. Play the game or don't. Talk to me or don't. I don't care, but don't try to do something halfway. Look, being in love with Jesus means that it's all about him and that we can't live our life without him. But unfortunately, we just, I think a lot of Christians just like the idea of Jesus. We like the idea of being saved. We like the idea of someone being the king of our heart. We like the idea of him being uh, our defender. John Piper asked this question. He says, and, and this is a gut check. Think about this. The critical question for our generation, John Piper writes, it's in the book called God is the Gospel. The critical question for our generation and every generation is this. Can you answer this honestly? If you could have heaven, that's so awesome. I can't wait. With no sickness, and all the friends you've ever had on earth, 
and all the food you've ever liked and all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you've ever seen, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, no human conflict, no natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus weren't there? There have been times in my life where I think I would take that. Because following Jesus gets tough. But if I could promise you an eternity with all of those things, but removed Jesus, would you take it? Now, you don't have to nod or shake your head yes or no. It's a question to wrestle with. Because if your answer is yes, then you just love the idea of Jesus. And you need to spend some time in pursuit of falling in love with him. Um, unfortunately, the scene gets interrupted. We're going to read just two more passages of scripture. Verse 16. Uh, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done. Now the crowd was with him, and when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, he continued the, the word continued to spread. Many people, because they had heard of this, that he had performed this sign, they went out to meet him. This is the interruption, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And that'd be, that's my prayers of pastors, that all of Jacksonville will go after him. But the disruption, if you allow me one more passage. It's a couple days later, he gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Mark tells the story in, verse 15, in Mark chapter 15. Just, just listen. This is what he says. Mark writes, Very early in the morning, the chief priests who've been in pursuit of him since, since John 5, along with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin, they made their plans. So they bound Jesus, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. You've said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. And Jesus made no reply, and the Bible says that Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner from the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in their uprising. The crowd came up and they asked Pilate to do what you usually do. Hey, at this time of the year, you, you give us a prisoner. Can you do it again? Pilate, the people pleaser. Of course. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. Now remember, this group of people were just screaming, save, savior, the savior, he's here. Hosanna. Blessed is the, the, the one who comes on behalf of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So of course, when Pilate says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Of course they say, yes, give us him, right? Knowing that it was out of his own self-interest, 
for Pilate to ask this question. But the chief priest stirred among the crowd to have Pilate release the murderer, the insurrectionist, Barabbas. What should I do then, Pilate asked, with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Can you hear the same crowd that was just yelling, Hosanna, just a couple days later are now yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They shouted, crucify him. And Pilate says why he's not committed a crime, but they shout louder, crucify him, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. I can't wait to sit in the presence of Jesus. I mean, in my own personal time, uh, sometimes I'll turn on uh, worship playlists in Spotify and I'll, I'll just like sit on my knees in my office just imagine Jesus sitting there with power, lightning, and rolls of thunder all around. And I tremble. I dream. I weep. Because here's the reality is that sometimes in my life I sing Hosanna, but other times in my life I yell, crucify him. And I think, Jesus, I, I want to be in love with you. And I want to be in love with more than just the idea of you. Like I want eternity, even if all that other stuff isn't there. And the reason I tell that last story is because you are Barabbas. And I'm Barabbas. I mean, Jesus literally stood in the place of where this murderer deserved to be. And if Jesus were released, then, then, then in hours, Barabbas would have been on the cross. But it wasn't. It was Jesus. And dude, I deserve to stand there. And even though I'm sometimes even in the crowd yelling crucify him, Jesus says, Roger, just go. I got you. Man, I I just, God, I don't deserve you. The love that Jesus shows us was an undying, unfiltered, compassionate pursuit. Father God, I want to reciprocate that. Forgive us, Lord, when we make it about preference and not your presence. Forgive us when it's not about obsession, but it's, 
indifference. God, I want to, when you're on the stage and I'm in the front row, I want to say, I'm in love with you. I'm in love with you. God, let that be the cry of this people, of the restore, of this, this small gathering of restored church be our life's call when we leave here that people will look at us and say, man, that dude is so in love with Jesus. That mom is so in love with Jesus. Those kids are so in love with Jesus. Let people look at restore and say that group of people is so in love with Jesus. We pray all these things in, in, in his name. Amen.